Welcome back to The Real News Network. I'm Paul Jay, and this is Reality Asserts Itself. We're continuing our series of interviews with Heiner Flassbeck. And Heiner now joins us in the studio. Thanks for joining us again. Heiner worked at UNCTAD, the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development. And from 2003 to 2012, he was the director of the Division on Globalization and Development Strategies. Earlier in his career, amongst many accomplishments, he was the chief macroeconomist in the German Institute for Economic Research in Berlin between 88 and 98, and a vice minister from October 98 to 99 at the Federal Ministry of Finance in Bonn. So, in the end of the last interview, you were saying you hoped for, a, and I, I put the words in your mouth, but you kind of agreed, a reasonable, more rational capitalism than we have now. Um, a few years ago, about three, four years ago, I was at a conference at Bretton Woods that George Soros organized with this uh, think tank he's created called INET. And he opened the conference and he looked out at everybody in the audience for quite a while, clearly trying to think of what to say, I think. And he started it with the words, he said, I'm bewildered. Mm -hmm. And he says, I don't understand what's going on. He says, it is so obvious that the speculation, financial speculation is completely out of control, that, that it's, it's going to lead to a disaster. And there's things we could do about it and no one will do anything. And it doesn't matter what people like me say, no one's listening to me. Um, which suggests that maybe th you can't g have this reasonable, rational capitalism. I, I'm not even suggesting Soros' model is reasonable or rational. It's another conversation. No. But, but you can't get even the most weak-need regulation uh, uh, passed anymore, especially in the United States, but I don't think Europe's a heck of a lot better. Um, you know, has that horse left the barn? Yeah, it left the barn. That's uh, true, and uh, it's very difficult to get it back, uh, for sure. I mentioned already that the Bretton Woods system, which was a reasonable approach to capitalism, so to say, uh, was created under very unique circumstances. Explain what that of, system was for people that don't know. Well, it was a system where we had uh, strong regulation on capital uh, flows. We had uh, the banks uh, diminished to their proper a uh, service work for the economy to finance uh, real investment. We had a global monetary system with rather fixed exchange rates so that not everybody uh, could speculate with currencies and, and all these things. We had a lot of uh, provisions that uh, made the system stable. And we had uh, strong intervention into the labor market on the one hand, or at least we had conditions on the labor market that uh, gave people uh, clearly uh, the permanent expectation that they would get. Uh, there what, was much what, higher what unionization. Yeah, there was higher unionization, and there was a there was a mood uh, in this confrontation with the East, with the planned economies that the West had to give something that you had to uh, uh, to to uh, sort of say calm down people by by giving them. Well, they had to, didn't the there have to, that the Soviet Union was for. promising full employment, and that capitalism right. had to promise full employment. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is one of the one, surely one of the reasons uh, that we had this confrontation and the. the the West had to give something to their people because to calm down people and to make them happy in their system, the fight of the system was in so far quite productive uh, as it brought about a balance between capital and labor 
which we after that uh, never had again. Uh, in the mid of the 70s, we mentioned it already, we had uh, the increase of unemployment, and then we had Thatcherism, Reaganism, and Reaganomics, and uh, all that, and this led to uh, a sharp shifting of the balance of power towards capital, uh, and uh, with the fall of the wall uh, in the beginning of the 19th, that process even uh, became stronger and stronger all over the place because there was no confrontation anymore and there was nothing to, to be given to the so, people. So isn't that where we've come you know, with Reagan and Thatcherism and, and it has continued to today? Mm. Uh, is that not the more natural gravitation then of capitalism? That the, you know, w you know, the Soviet Union posed a threat, mm. real or, or imagined, but whatever, it, it was perceived as that socialism actually was going to deliver a social safety net and full employment and so on and so on. So capitalism, particularly in Europe, mm. both because of the strength of the unions, but also because the Soviet Union, you know, East Germany is next door, has to prove that capitalism yeah. can give all these things and freedom. Where the Soviet Union, right. you could only get this stuff if you give up your freedom. But once the Soviet Union starts to become clear, is on the way down, and yeah. it's, it's probably going to implode, then, then that goes away, and then from that point on, yeah, but this is the capitalism. This is the capitalism up to the point of the crisis. When we had the big crisis in 2008, then there was a chance to change things, and we still have the chance to change things because we're not out of the crisis. We're not out of that crisis that started in 2008. So we're in the year five or six after the crisis, and we're not yet out. So this is a plain disaster. This is the same thing as we had with the, with the Great Depression in the 30s. There was no confrontation of the system. The system, uh, the, the planned system, Soviet Union, China was not important uh, for, the, for the thinking of, of the North and the Western countries. Uh, but well, it, it well, was yeah, but certainly it was, in the minds of people. It was starting, but it was not really uh, the confrontation as after the Second World War. Yeah. And uh, at that time, but at that time there were corrective forces. So the corrective force was the crisis. The big depression changed capitalism to a certain extent. And uh, President Roosevelt was the one who, who did it. But looking back and looking into the history of the whole thing, it seems that it was uh, due to uh, very few uh, people, and uh, President Roosevelt was clearly one of the most important ones, who drove the whole thing into a different direction, who changed capitalism. And we haven't found uh, a person like that. Because uh, the, al the alternative model yeah. to save capitalism was Hitler. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, well, Hitler did it in his way. It was also also the state who came strong. The state uh, did everything. The state uh, produced full employment. So, it was similar, but under different uh, political well, circumstances. Based on militarization. Yeah. Militarization, yeah, for sure. Uh, but some people argue the same with Roosevelt. That yeah, the real the, solution okay, here was well, the war. So. Yeah, but. Uh, well, uh, we do not have to go into that uh, because that's a difficult question. But w w we do not have something like that. We do not have a shock like that. We do not have a person like that uh, that would lead the world out of this uh, out of this uh, desperate situation in which we are now. We we, we have produced in in Europe in the last uh, five years we have produced unemployment rates that were that are absolutely equal to the Great Depression. Uh, the United States is still. Uh, in, in a stagnation uh, of the overall economy, uh, monetary policy is trying desperately whatever is possible. It's crazy things that everybody would have considered to be crazy things uh, 10 years ago, and so on. So we really have left, uh, we have uh, not left the, uh, the, the recession and the recessive mode, and we're not out of the crisis. Uh, we're, we're just trying to uh, paper it over by, by extreme political measures. Uh, because we haven't understood what is what is at stake at this moment and what what of 
kind of critical point uh, capitalism has reached because of the uh, distributive changes that we have seen in the uh, in the aftermath of the long period of high unemployment, the, the balance of power shifting towards capital and labor left behind. And how, what shape is Europe in? Because it's, it's not on the headlines anymore. You know, a, a little while ago it was Greece and before that it was Spain. But mm. as, at least as far as American uh, and, and North American news goes, it's kind of off the front pages now. Yeah, it's coming back because of deflation. What we see now is clearly uh, a move into deflation. Uh, a Japanese-like scenario. But what the Fed tried to prevent in the United States in the last years was a Japanese-like scenario where after such a crisis you fall into a deflationary mode. Uh, this is exactly happening in Europe. And th the reason is very simple, that, but nobody talks about it. Uh, the reason is very simple, namely we're, we're cutting wages. We're cutting everywhere wages. We have pressure on wages to be cut uh, and wages to follow the German model, so-called model, uh, where uh, wages are not rising in line with productivity anymore. And this is done, executed in Spain, in Greece, in Portugal. Uh, they're trying to, to starting with that in France, or they're talking about it in France and Italy. Uh, and uh, this is already uh, entering the whole uh, European economy and into a deflationary uh, phase. And, and again, uh, it is the center bank. Everybody talks about a center bank. Their, their calculations, the IMF is uh, joining in there. Uh, how much uh, money the center bank has to spend now in, in buying bonds and other, and other assets to avoid deflation. Nobody talks about wages. But the, it is absolutely clear, the obvious, the evidence is so clear, they cannot, on nothing, we have clearer evidence than uh, on the fact that wages are determining prices, so, or unit labor costs. So this is the premium of wages, nominal wage increases over productivity. This determines inflation, it's absolutely clear. And, uh, but, but it is ignored by, by the whole profession, they're ignoring this fact. Because Explain and break that down, what you just said. What it means is then, as long as nominal wages rise in line with productivity, you have inflation zero. But all the countries want a certain positive inflation. By nominal, so you mean real wages? Nominal, no, nominal wages. Nominal wages are the wages that people get. Uh, That's what I mean. Uh, yeah. that, that, and, and these wages should be beyond the rise in line with productivity, but plus in line with an inflation target. So you, if you have an inflation target of 2%, then nominal wages should rise in line with the productivity increase, the expected productivity increase, so say the trend of productivity that you have in a country, in the United States would be 2%, plus the 2% uh, for uh, the inflation target, which would make 4% in the United States and in Europe uh, overall. And uh, only if wage you Wage increase that, at 4% would yeah, keep a balance. Would keep, and that would keep a balance, and that would keep uh, real wages rising by 2%. And it would keep the inflation rate on, on a stable growth path. That is exactly what we want, and to avoid deflation. As soon as you let high unemployment put pressure on wages, you have the unions are weak, uh, you have reduced unionization, and so on. Then you get the imbalance, and the imbalance shows in, in two things. The imbalance shows in uh, nominal wages not rising in line with this formula that I just mentioned, and not rising in line with productivity and inflation target. This puts pressure on deflation, and at the same time, as real wages are falling to a certain extent, at least, uh, they reduce demand and we see rising unemployment. This is the situation in Southern Europe. So Europe, we had huge pressure on, on nominal wages. So nominal wages are cut by 10, 15%, which means that prices are falling by 10%, but nevertheless, real wages are falling by 5%, and this depresses demand and unemployment is rising. So you, what you get is deflation and rising unemployment at the same time. This is the worst situation that you can imagine. 
uh, because then monetary policy is over. Monetary policy cannot fight that anymore because they cannot go below uh, zero. Uh, monetary with, with policy interest rate. Mean lowering interest they, rates. They, they cannot lower the interest rate below the, the, the zero bound, so what economists call the zero bound, namely below zero it doesn't make sense. If you, don't, uh, if you ask people to pay money uh, for, for a bank account, they don't come anymore, well, they don't well, bring well, it to well, a bank you, account it's, anymore. Your home, Germany, is, is essentially yeah. the powerhouse of, of Europe and yeah. they're kind of managing all of this yeah, and, and do not seem to mind what's going on. They, well, we, we have, unfortunately, we have a very poor, the poorest uh, economic debate in, in the whole of Europe is uh, happening in Germany. It's not happening in Germany because nobody is discussing these questions. We have a finance minister who has no clue about economics. He's talking about uh, Swabian housewife, so to say, a micro example as being the model for, uh, for the economic policy, which doesn't make sense at all. And uh, the chancellor obviously is buying this kind of approach, so it, it's, it's really absurd. Uh, I'm shying away from talking about it because I have to talk about my own country in these words, uh, which, is, which is not the nicest thing you can do, but it's, it's really like that. It's absolutely absurd. And uh, I hope for a long time or for some time that the international discussion would, would change that a bit, uh, but it's not happening. What, what but, we but see is that France and Italy are following now. France has, uh, the, the President Hollande has uh, explicitly declared that he wants to follow the German model and in Italy we hear similar, similar things. So, but this doesn't exactly work anymore. If, if France and Italy are following this policy that Spain, Portugal and Greece did already, then we will have rising unemployment in France and Italy, which will rise the unemployment rate in the whole of the European Monetary Union to 20% or something like that. Plus we will see deflation and then uh, the euro will rise, so in international we'll have no uh, no repercussions, no, no positive effects for the Europeans uh, because the euro will rise. That is what we see already. The euro has risen by something like 10% against the dollar in the last, uh, last uh, months since the beginning of the year. So uh, the whole game is really absurd. It's a, it's a race to the bottom. They're, they're running uh, behind Germany. They're racing uh, towards a, a dead end. and. Uh, uh, the overall effect will be deflation and, and uh, deeper recession and more unemployment. But, but isn't that what the Ger uh, German and European elites have wanted for a long time? That with, as long as the Soviet Union was there as this supposed alternative system, they had to do this big social safety net and long, good pensions and long maternity leaves. and They had to share you know, with the working classes of Europe sure. a fairly significant portion of, 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 uh, of the wealth. And now they don't. And, and now they're taking advantage of this crisis to break the back of, the, of this whole infrastructure that was uh, created after the World War II. And it seems like, like you're suggesting it's very irrational and it's heading to a dead end. But if I'm really rich and I'm sitting in Europe, maybe I'm thinking what I really want is I want an American-style low-wage economy. I want a really weak working class. I want high unemployment. And I want to sell stuff to Asia. And all, you know, well, the Chinese and Indians, Brazilians, whatever, they can buy our stuff. And uh, we don't have to share any of this wealth with the workers of Europe. No, no, but it doesn't work. Uh, it doesn't but don't you, do you not think that's, that must uh, be that's how what they're they thinking? Think, yeah, that's how they're thinking, sure. But, but uh, if they would be a bit more rational, they would uh, understand that it cannot work because the whole world cannot export anything. 
to nowhere, and we all know the Chinese and the Indians will not be the ones who run huge current account deficits and will, will take our goods. It's just the other way around. They want to, to run current account surpluses, so they want to sell more to our countries than the other way around. Uh, yeah, they're so, going to start a worldwide and, and they, and, and race they, to the bottom. Yeah, it's yeah. a worldwide race to the bottom. That's right. Uh, Europe is engaging, or is may maybe even the, the leader in that, in that race to the bottom, uh, but uh, it, it doesn't make sense for every reasonable capitalist should think about if, if the time horizon is at least, uh, say, 10, 20 years for someone who runs a company or owns a company, uh, he or she should know that it cannot work because you need consumers at the end. You need people who are able to buy the stuff that you're producing. And you have, there are only you workers who, who uh, are the ones who can, who can buy the stuff that you're producing, uh, otherwise someone will lose. Well, then you can hope that you're the survivor and the others will lose. Well, uh, that always uh, may be the, the, uh, uh, the motivation behind uh, so microeconomic decisions, but uh, in the end it cannot work and every reasonable capitalist should know it cannot work. You need, you need consumers, you need people who earn money and earn not only money, but earn as much as the productivity increase is in real terms. So because otherwise the productivity increase as such will lead to unemployment, that's absolutely sure. Well, and the United States was only, so to say, bridging the, the past 20 years by uh, uh, one instrument that is not there forever, by, by bringing down the savings ratio. You, you can survive a period where real income, real wages are not growing, if the people are willing to reduce their savings ratio to zero or something like that, but uh, more than zero is hardly possible, and uh, then it's over. Then, well, then well the whole of the people that really own stuff and really wield political power, and, uh, you know, I'm talking about that stratum of billionaires, mm -hmm. the, the global yeah, oligarchs yeah. and all this. Have you met any that, I mean, I shouldn't say there aren't, a, there are a few, I think, but there aren't very many, would you say, that are, using your words, reasonable or rational? No, that's right. Uh, in their rational there in their environment, maybe in their micro environment, they're not looking at the overall economy. That's right. Uh, and here we're lacking politicians who are who are pushing for for rational uh, solutions. Well, they they at, work at the, for these various yeah, oligarchs. Yeah, well, but that's right. That's uh, the plutocracy is what what a plutocracy is, and that that is why the plutocracy has will, will hit the wall again. There, there's no way out. There will be a new crisis. Uh, sooner or later, a bigger crisis than we have seen, maybe, and then uh, either we find someone who, who understands the uh, these mechanisms and these relationships and, and changes the world, a politician or political leader, uh, or, or I don't know, the whole system will collapse. Uh, I mean, what you see in Europe now, you see that right-wingers are taking over everywhere. Look at Hungary, look at uh, France, where the Front National is Ukraine. coming up, uh, the right-wing party, and, and so, uh, this is this is the, the near-term solution, so to say, the political solution that you find people who are saying, well, globalization has failed, Europeanization has failed, everything has failed, so we, we go back to our national frontiers and we, we close our borders, we live in splendid now isolation. Back to the 1930s. Yeah, back to the 1930s. This is, this is uh, what is happening now, and then uh, the race to the bottom for a time will be stronger than before, and then the end, but, but they have no solution at all. Also no solution, and then uh, we will end up again in trade wars or other wars. All right. We're going to continue this discussion with Heiner Flasbeck on Reality Asserts Itself on the Real News Network.